I think it's such an amazing thing that as we come to church, we're coming first and foremost to honor God. But as we honor God, we can honor our mothers so that we can honor the Lord as well. How many of you guys believe that? Amen. Amen. The Bible tells us, yes, you can clap for that. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, chapter 2, in uh, verse 2 and 3, Paul tells us, Honor your father and honor your mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live a long life on earth. How do we live a long life on earth? What is the first commandment that is, has a promise attached to it? Is that we would honor our uh, fathers and honor our mothers. And today that's what we want to do. We want to take a time, set aside time this Sunday to honor our mothers that the Lord has given us. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to take a break today from 1 Corinthians and really learn lessons from the life of a mother. Lessons from from the life of a mother. I think it's so important that we learn lessons from the life of a mother. And we praise God for all the women and mothers that are present even today. And because of you, I'll tell you all the mothers that are here present, because of you, a live Christian fellowship is a better place because of the mothers that are here today. It's been said before that a mother is God's deputy on earth. A mother is God's deputy here on earth. And a mother's heart is a child's classroom. A mother's heart is a child's classroom. Isn't it the mother's heart that warms the home always? The mother's heart that trains up the the children in the way that they should go? A mother's heart that is so selfless, that is a discipler, that teaches, that grows, that nourishes the life of the children and of the child as they're growing up and of the home as well. It's the heart of a mother that is the child's classroom. And I think a lot of the things that a mother's do sometimes is taken for granted. How many of you guys believe that, right? A lot of the things that mothers do is taken for granted. A story goes of a 15-year-old boy that came pounding into the house and he found his mother in bed. He asked if she was sick or something was, was wrong because he was truly concerned, this 15-year-old boy. His mom replied, as a matter of fact, I don't feel too well. And the son replied, well, mom, don't worry a bit about dinner. I'll be more than happy to carry you down to the stove. <laughs> How much of what the mothers do is taken for granted? Maybe today you're wondering if you were a good or bad mother throughout your life. I heard a story about a mother who had raised six boys to manhood and her work was done. And she was laid down now to die. And the boys came home to see their mother, but the oldest son of the six came and knelt down a great and powerful and influential man laid down by his mother's bed. Wiping the death dew from her forehead and said to her, Mother, you have always been a good mother to us boys. You see, the tired woman closed her eyes and with great tears pushed out from under the lids that ran down her wasted cheeks. 
And she opened her eyes and looked searchingly into the face of her firstborn and said to him, My boy, I prayed more than I might be a good mother to you six boys than for anything else. And I was afraid that I should have failed in some way to be all that I should be for you. I never knew whether you boys thought I had failed or not until now because not one of you ever told me I was a good mother until today. Is today the day that maybe you have to tell your mother that she was a great mother, a mother that loved, a mother that really influenced you, a mother that was sacrificial. And I think sometimes we don't tell our mothers how good of a job that they do. Maybe they're wondering if they did a good job and it's up to us to let our mothers know that we love them and that we care for them. It's interesting enough that historically God has used women in the Bible to raise up a generation of men and women that were the greatest influencers of the faith starting from the home with the mothers. It's been said that when God wants to do a great work, He gets a hold of a man. But He wants to do an exceptionally great work he gets a hold of a woman. <laughs> you see, it was women that really laid now even the path for the leaders of the word. You think about Jacobat, Moses' mother, that by faith laid Moses in the Jordan River. And because of Moses, Israel had the deliverance and the exodus from Egypt because it started from Moses' mother. You think about Ruth, a mother that connects us to the lineage of David and where we get the family of Jesus. It starts from Ruth, a mother. Or what about our salvation that begins with a young virgin, Mary, who would become a mother as she was visited by God. And now today we look at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel are a book or is a book that contains the life of three godly men, three heroes of the faith. First Samuel, that talks about Samuel, the prophet, that talks about Saul, the king, that talks about David, the king. But it begins with Hannah, a mother, a mother with an answered prayer. It begins with Hannah. And today we're going to study three things from the life of Hannah that I want you to jot down whether you're a mother or you're not for the men for the young man, you can learn a lot of lessons from the life of this mother. And the three major points that we learn here from Hannah's life is number one, Hannah's problem. Hannah had a problem. Number one, we see Hannah's problem. Number two, we see Hannah's prayer. I know a lot of us here came today with some problems in life. And whether you are or not a mother, whether you've come in as a young man or a house of a ha uh, uh, the head of a household, maybe you have some problems and we're going to learn from that. We're going to learn from Hannah's prayer or her petition. But we're also going to learn, number three, Hannah's priority. So you have number one, the problem, the prayer, and the priority. The problem, the prayer, and the priority. Why don't we open up to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, and understand what the problem was, what the prayer was, and what the priority was as we glean and learn from the lessons of a life of a mother. Lord, we ask God that today you would show us from Hannah's life 
Lord, as she was a woman that did have a problem, had a prayer, but that we would also learn from her priorities. And that we as both men and women, as young and old, Lord, would grow in your word today and really celebrate the faithfulness of who you are, God. Through your love, how great it is your love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And together we said, Amen. It says, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophnim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkaniah, the son of Jer- uh, Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeuf, the son of Ephraim, Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, his two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give a portion to Penina, his wife, and to all the other sons and daughters. But to Hannah, pay attention to this church, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. You see, Mother's Day is such a beautiful day, but it also raises a day where a lot of women are suffering or families because they cannot give birth to children. And we see here that Hannah had a strong desire to be a mother. She had a desire to want something. She was longing for something that she did not have or that she could not have. And maybe today you've came in today and you are longing for something that you cannot have. It might be something good. But the Lord has not given it to you just yet. And maybe you think that you come in, it's, it's really a tearing you apart in your heart and in your mind that you would wish that you would just have the perfect family, the perfect marriage, the perfect household, whatever would be maybe the perfect mom or maybe the perfect children. And you find yourself with a dilemma or in a conflict or with a problem. You see, we see here that Hannah has a problem. And we start to learn very quickly that she was miserable and that she started to become now uh, depressed because she was infertile. You see, at that time, when a woman could not bear children, it was looked upon her as a curse. But realistically, we see that the woman in the Bible, this was not a curse, but they were not cursed. They were kept for their own special blessing. How many times have we read in the Bible of women in the faith, in the scripture, who could not have children? They were infertile, but they were the ones that were bearing and producing much fruit. And we learn that through countless times of reading scripture because these women were counted righteous. They weren't cursed. They were kept for their own blessing. We've come in today maybe thinking that we have a problem in our hands. And instead of asking the Lord, Lord, take this problem away from me, let the Lord minister you to you, through you, through that problem. Because an empty womb here for Hannah did not mean an empty life. And today I want you to know that an empty womb does not mean an empty life. Infertile doesn't mean unfruitful. And for all of us here, even specifically for the women and for the families, your value to God is not based 
on your ability to reproduce. Your value to God is not based on your ability to reproduce. God loves you because you are created in His image. And whether you can or cannot produce children, it does not define your worth to God. And I want you to know that. The Bible clearly says it in Scripture that you were created in His image and He does not look for you to bear children as a, as a form of, of being worth something or of value to Him. You are already valuable. You are already special to the Lord just the way you are. He created you in His image. But now it says in verse 3 that this man took his family once a year to worship at Shiloh at the house of the Lord. And when they would go worship, they would take their offering and they would go and have a ceremonial meal, right, during the sacrifice. And they would worship and sacrifice once a year. And he would take his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, with him to make that offering. And then he would lay out portions of food for his entire family and even to his wife, now Penina. But also here, it says here during that ceremonial meal, that to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her. This woman with a problem that was not cursed, but kept for her own blessing, got twice as much on the table as anyone else because her husband loved her, although the Lord had closed her womb. Just think about this. She was blessed with a double portion in the house of the Lord. And I want you to know that. Because maybe the Lord's brought you here and He's given you a double portion of blessing to enjoy in the house of God. But now let's go to verse 6. And her rival also. Who is her rival? Penina. Because she wanted all the attention from the husband. And she was her rival. She, look what she started to do now in the own home. Think about this. Her rival made her miserable and provoked her to jealousy and taunted her and made fun of her. Verse 6, it tells us. And her rival also provoked her severely. It didn't say she kind of provoked her. She provoked her severely. Has somebody ever provoked you, maybe even at church? <laughs> maybe provoked you severely? Maybe you're, it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's somebody at work that provokes you severely and, and gets you just angry and tries to really allow you, your feelings and your emotions to get rattled up, or severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she came up to the house of the Lord, that the, the Lord, that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. What does it say here that she had a problem, right? She could not bear children to her. She thought of it as that problem because she could not have what she desperately desired. But year by year, she was reduced to tears. And she did not eat. She was miserable. She was provoked. She wept bitterly. And it led to her depression. How many of us have ever felt that way? That we, maybe we have this problem that's a burden in our hearts, on our shoulders, in our life. And because of that problem, we, we are living life provoked. Maybe we live life miserable at times. Maybe we weep bitterly, we're reduced to tears, and we are depressed. We're desperately depressed. And it is possible, I'll tell you this, to have problems at home like Hannah did that make your time in the house of God miserable. Just think about Hannah. She had problems at home that made her time in the house of God miserable. There she is, Hannah, once a year, sitting in the house of God with a double portion that she couldn't even enjoy. She had more than everyone else did. 
But she didn't eat because she was miserable. She didn't partake. She didn't enjoy the blessing, the double portion of being sitting at the table and sacrificing worship to God because of the problems at home. See, maybe today you have some things that are going on at home. And you come to church, you come to the house of God, and God has given you a double portion. <clears throat> and He wants you to enjoy that double portion. But the problems at home that weigh you down in your mind do not let you enjoy your time in the house of God. But I'll tell you, today is a time, the day that you say, I'm going to release those problems that are taking place at home so that I can enjoy my time in the house of God and in the presence of God. Amen. Verse 8, it would go on. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why don't you eat, Hannah? Don't you see that I'm giving you this food? And then he asks a ridiculous question here, as every husband would. He says, why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than you? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? Oh, let me tell you something, Elkanah. You're not. <laughs> Am I not better than 10 sons? What are you thinking? Why would you ask that? Of course you're not better than 10 sons. That's why she's crying, because he wants a son. And he asked this question, why do you weep? Why don't you eat? Am I not better than 10 sons? You know what's interesting that we start to learn here, even in marriage, as we see this? That only God can fill what's empty. If you find yourself maybe single, if you find yourself maybe searching, if you find yourself maybe longing for something that you don't have, a relationship, a marriage, a husband, a child, a mother, whatever it would be, and you're hurting for that, you're longing for that, understand that not even your spouse can fill the void or the emptiness or the need that only God is designed to uh, fill for you. It is very problematic when we uh, start to expect our spouse to meet the needs that only God can. It is very problematic. It is very frustrating to you, I'll tell you, to start to expect your spouse, your husband or your wife, even your children, even your mother, to fulfill the needs that only are designed for God to meet. See, this husband right here starts to understand very rapidly and he starts to learn that, that only God can meet the needs of Hannah. Only God can meet your needs. It's not going to be a boyfriend. It's not going to be a girlfriend. It's not going to be a husband or a wife or a mother or children. It's only God can fill what's empty. And if today you're battling with something that is empty, understand that nobody can fill that void. Nobody can fill that emptiness. No matter how much you try, it is only the Lord. Recognize that. Here Elkanah, recognize that. She had needs that couldn't, he could not be fulfilled by himself. Like the desire to be a mother. And even though times were hard here, God was still in charge. We're going to know here. And often we don't understand his ways until he completes his plan. But God is faithful. And he always has a plan and he's ready to bless. Number one, that's the problem. Let's go to the prayer now. Because from verses 9 to 18, we're going to see Hannah's prayer. It says here, So Hannah rose after they had finished eating one year and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting in the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. Why? Because she was empty. It's interesting that sometimes we're empty. And instead of going into prayer, we go into something else that God has not designed for us. And it leaves us more empty than we were before. It rips us off. 
That's why we have to be careful that we don't seek for people, things, circumstances, or other areas in life. Fill the void that only God can fill. It says here now, Hannah rose and went to prayer. She sees, he sees Eli's priest sitting at the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was of bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now we see two words here in Hannah's prayer. We see two characteristics. She arose because her heart was burdened. But then you see that she was bitter in soul here. And she wept very anguish. This was tears that were mixed with grief. Have you ever wept like that? Cried? Because you're so sad because you're going through the pain. Because you're going through the sorrow. Because you've been going all your life wanting something. And, and you've been so empty. And you're crying all alone. And these tears are mixed with grief because of the pain. But you know what Hannah did? She did the exact thing that every one of us should do. You see, Hannah took her bitterness. Hannah took the anguish. And she did the right thing. She went to prayer. And she turned it into the Lord. I want you today to realize this, both men and women. To take that anguish to take that depression, to take that sad, sadness, to take the tears that are mixed with grief and do the only right thing that you can do with them. To take them and turn them into the Lord. This is exactly why her prayer was so meaningful, why it was so effective. Because yes, she was grieving, she was in pain, but she took the anguish, she took the sorrow, she took the depression, she took the tears, and she said, I'm going to go to prayer, I'm going to go to the house of God, I'm going to turn them into the Lord today, turn it into the Lord. And it says in verse 11 now, as we read on, that she made a vow or a promise and said, O Lord of hosts, now you have to understand the wording that she's using here because Lord of hosts is a specific term. It's a, a very unique name of God. You know what the unique name of God here or Lord of hosts is? It means, O Lord, God of angels' armies. It's almost like a military term that she was using. It was, O Lord, my protector. It was, O Lord, my defender. O Lord of mighty armies of the angels' armies. Why did she plead that name? Because Hannah felt attacked by her rival. So she called on the Lord of mighty armies to be her protector. I encourage you, when you feel attacked, when you feel overwhelmed and overburdened by things in life, don't go call on your neighbor. Don't go call on someone on the phone right away. Call on the Lord of hosts. The God of angels, armies, that he can be your protector, that he can be your defender, that he can stand in the gap for you because he is the God of angels, armies, the God with has a military name that goes out to attack and stands in the place for you when looking at the enemy and at the overwhelmed burden. Look what her, she prays when she says, Oh God of angels, armies, oh Lord, my protector, oh Lord, my defender. If you will indeed look at my affliction. Number one, look. Look at my affliction, Lord. Today, tell him, look at my affliction. Look at my pain. Look at what I'm feeling, God. There is something that's hurting inside. Look at this that I, I'm feeling. You're made sure. And remember, look and remember me, Lord. Maybe today that's your prayer. Look and remember. And do not forget your maidservant. But if you give, if you give your maidservant a male child... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. 
and no razor shall come upon his head. What is she saying here? Now Hannah belonged to a Levite priestly family. So her family, all the male children, were already Levites. Which means that all the male children were already going to serve in the house of God. But she doesn't say that's what he's going to be. He's not only going to serve and then retire after, after serving between the ages of 30 and 50, and after my son's going to retire. No, she says, uh, he's not only going to be a Levite. He's also going to be a Nazarite. I'm going to give him up to the Lord, not just a portion of his life, all the days of his life, and no razor is going to touch his hair. What does that mean? That he wasn't going to get a haircut. You remember Samson in the book of Judges? He was a Nazarite. It means that he could not touch uh, something that was dead. He could not taste any wine or alcoholic beverage. And he could not uh, go out and not, uh, not handle things that were offered up to idols. He could not touch, taste, or handle. And when you think about this, you start to see that, that she, he was, she was separating now her son unto the Lord and unto holiness. Lord, if you give me this, all I'm going to do, it says in verse 11, all I'm going to do is give it back to you. Is that what you want to do with when the Lord gives it to you? Sometimes we ask for the Lord to give us something, but we want it for ourselves. It's a selfish, a selfish request. Hannah here is teaching us a pattern of prayer. She's saying, Lord, if you give it to me, it's only going to be dedicated back to you in holiness. Lord, if you give me the house, the house is going to be for you. Lord, if you bless me with the car, the car is going to be for you. If you give me the family, Lord then the family is going to give, be given to you. If you restore my marriage or my relationship with my children, I'm going to dedicate them to you. And look what it says. All the days of his life. Not just in the summer. Not just on Sundays when you're so tired of your children all week that you want to just give them to the children's ministry and it's a break for you. We can't wait to go to church because they have childcare. Not just during VBS. Are they having that one week thing? I'm tired of these kids. All the days of his life. What is she saying? I'm going to dedicate my son. Not just the bare minimum. I'm going to go above and beyond to dedicate my family. Today, have you dedicated your family above and beyond? Her desire was in harmony with God's plan. Is your desire today in harmony with God's plan? Lord, you might give me this. You might bless me in this area. But I'm just going to give it back to you. If you bless this work that I'm doing here, then I'm just going to bless you back with it. I'm not going to keep it to myself. How many times has the Lord blessed you with something and you want to keep it for yourself? No, she's saying, I'm not going to keep it to myself. If the Lord blesses your business, don't keep it to yourself. The Lord blesses your family, don't keep it to yourself. The Lord blesses your house, don't keep it to yourself. Use it to bless the Lord. You see, here, she wanted a son. Check it out here. God needed a prophet. <laughs> She wanted a son. God needed a prophet. Perfect. I needed a prophet. So I'm just going to use Hannah. I'm going to give her the son she wants because I need the prophet. So I'll use her because I know she'll give it back to me. You see, God has a pattern of blessing us because he wants to use that which he blesses us with in return to bless him. It's so awesome. Every time the Lord... You know, even does it for your family. I know he's done it in the past for mine. And, and the Lord blesses us. I automatically go and tell my wife, this is something that God wants to use to bless someone else maybe. And the only reason he's putting it in our hands is so that we can give it to somebody else. Because this is exactly what Hannah is teaching us. Whatever God's given you, your request, 
every desire is so that the, you can use it back for the Lord. Psalms 25 verse 18 says this, Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive my sins. What is Hannah doing? As she's praying and she's dedicating her son even before she has her son. Even before she makes a promise. She's going to keep her promise, you'll see. He said, look at my affliction and my sorrow. Can we tell the Lord, Lord, look at my affliction and my sorrow, not hide it. Say, Lord, I have a heart and my heart's devoted to you. I don't want to hide it anymore. I don't want to come to church and not be blessed at church, the very place where I should find safety and refuge and protection and blessing. I don't want to come and not be blessed here because of the pain that I feel in my heart. I want to come here and be blessed. Look, remember, see God. And if you bless me with that, I'm going to bless you with it in return. She's ready to bless with her blessing. Are you ready to bless with your blessing? Are you ready to dedicate it unto the Lord to use what he has given you to bless him with? Verse 12, it says this. And happened as she continued praying or she multiplied her prayer. That's what it means. She multiplied her prayer. I love this. Sometimes we think, I'll tell you, sometimes we think, I have so much going on in my life. So much anguish, so much sorrow. I have so much struggle going on in life. I can't come to church to pray. That's exactly why you need to be at church and praying. <laughs> Hannah's saying, I don't have a lot. She's saying, I have a lot of things going on, so I must go pray. I think a lot of times we think of it backwards. I have a lot of things, so I can't go. She says, I have a lot of things, so I must go pray. She's going to pray. And look what it says here. She's going to pray. It happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now, Eli here is just observing this woman. Now, Hannah spoke in her heart only, and her lips moved. It was a silent prayer. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. And Eli said to her, how long will you put a, be drunk? Put away, away your wine from you. Well, what an encouraging priest, right? Well, come on here now. And it says now, but Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. Look at what she's saying. I'm not under the influence of an alcohol. I'm under the influence of prayer. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm not under the influence of alcohol. I'm intoxicated with prayer. Look what she says. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I want you to, if you like taking notes, I want you to underline, this is the punchline here. Sorrowful spirit, underline sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. Here we go again, underline this. But I poured out my soul before the Lord. What does Hannah teach us here? She's saying, I'm under the influence of prayer. I'm not under un intoxicated drink. I've poured out my soul before the Lord. See, what is she teaching us? What is she teaching us here? The answer, the answer, listen here, please. The answer to a sorrowful spirit is a poured out soul before the Lord. Maybe today you came with a sorrowful spirit. The answer to that is a poured out soul. I don't want to, you know what poured out means? It means that you're emptied before God. Have you ever poured something out? Maybe you poured out something that was in a vase? Poured out something that was in a cup? You know what, it, what she's saying here? Well, literally she's saying, I'm sorrowful, so I'm going to pour out my soul before God. I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to pour out my soul before the God. The answer to a sorrowful spirit is a poured out soul before God. Take it and turn it into the Lord. Psalm 62 verse 8, the psalmist David said, Trust in the Lord at all times. 
trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. You know how you pour out your heart before God? Turn on some worship. Have you ever done that? Have you ever opened your Bible, just turn on worship and saying, I'm going to close the door. If my kids are yelling, then they're on their own. <laughs> I'm going to close the door and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Lord because I want to pour my soul out before the Lord. The reason sometimes we come so heavy and we live a life that is so heavy and so burdened is because we haven't taken that burden and poured it out and emptied it and given it and turned it into the Lord. Today, please, do not carry that burden any longer. In verse 16, it says, Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and my grief I have spoken until now. It's anguish and it's sorrow. It's grief. I'm speaking out of that. And she starts to pray. She's praying. And there's something important here. What happens when mothers pray? You know who's going to change our country? Sometimes we think, you know, we, we depend on politicians to change our country or to government or to policy or, or to anything or a different party, a political party. You know, get a group of mothers to pray and watch our country get changed. I'll tell you, there, there have been many times in my life when I, I woke up to the sound of my mother praying at the side of my bed. And I bear a testament of what a mother can do when she prays for her children. Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. No man is poor who has got, had a godly mother. We ought to pray, God give your church godly mothers that leave now children, that lead families. Because you can't take anyone to a place that you've never been. This is an exhortation for all of us to be moved into prayer. You have a problem? Then be moved into prayer. Verse 17, now. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. She came in sorrow. She can live in peace. Today, did you come in sorrow? Today, you can live in peace. Go in sorrow. You can live in peace. It says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Go in peace. May he grant your petition. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way. Hey, look at, this is amazing. And her face was no longer sad. You see, she came with a sad face, but that's not the same face she left with. When you go into prayer, you leave different. You leave changed. You can come into prayer with sorrow. You can come into prayer with anguish, but you get to live with peace. It's so ridiculous how sometimes we want somebody else to take our anguish and give us peace where it's only found in prayer. This completely changed Hannah's countenance. You know why it changed her countenance? She didn't even have the son yet. She didn't even have the son and she was happy. Because she was praying. Just imagine this. She received the promise that God was going to give her a son. She received it with faith. And this is something necessary. If we're going to inherit the promises of God, we can't be walking around sad here. I'm waiting for promises. Look at my face. Does this look like the face of someone waiting for a promise? And you're walking around church all sad in life, all sad, waiting for promises. No, you're waiting for promises. You're not waiting sad no more because you receive that promise by faith and it is prayer and faith that lead to promises. That's why her face was changed. That's why she had peace. That peace changed her countenance in prayer. Hebrews 6.12, it says, Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit promises. I want you, to, I want, I want you to guys to look at a word here. 
Faith and what? Here we go. We hate this word. Faith and patience inherit promises. How many times do you want the Lord to give you your promise today? Lord, give me my promise now, God. If you want, I'll go look for the promise. I'll help you. I'll find the kind of promise I want. You just say yes. I'll, I'll tell you who it is. You, I want you to just give it your approval. Just bless, bless the person. No, faith and patience and prayer and waiting inherit promises. Do you think of it? Remember Mary when the angel Gabriel went to her and gave her a promise? What did Mary say? How, is it, how, how could I have a son if I don't know a man? I'm a virgin. I don't have a husband. Luke 137, the angel Gabriel says, For with God, nothing will be impossible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And maybe that's your promise today. Maybe you came in searching for a promise, and your promise is, For with God, nothing will be impossible. She was in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says this, be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the God of peace here, or the peace of God, will surpass his own understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You want to have peace? Then go pray. The problem, the prayer here, which is the petition for a son that gives and instills and gives birth to peace. Prayer always gives birth to peace. And Hannah shows us how we can regain joy in the house of God. You know how you can regain joy? Pour out your spirit before the Lord. Receive His word by faith. Today, I choose to receive the word of God by faith. I can regain joy as I receive the word of God by faith. Lastly now, the problem, the prayer. Let's look at the priority of Hannah. Verse 19. Then she rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. And returned and came to the house of Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah and his wife. And the Lord remembered her. I want you to notice something in verse 19. This is the priority. What is the priority we're going to see? Worship and dedication. Worship and dedication. I want you to remember these points, please. I'm not giving them to you just so that you can forget them. <laughs> the priority is worship and dedication. What does Hannah do? Hannah shows us that while we wait for promise, we can worship. We can worship while we're waiting. The next day she woke up early in the morning and she started to worship God. We can worship while we're waiting. And think about this. Her grief turned into praise. Her grief turned into praise. And this is awesome here because her grief turned into praise. She's teaching us to worship while you wait for that promise. Don't go complaining that the promise hasn't come. Worship. Oh, because I don't have that yet, or the Lord hasn't given it to me. Worship while you wait for God to restore. Worship while you wait for God to build. Worship while you wait for the Lord to bless you and take you to the next place in life. It said that the next day she rose early in the morning, and she teaches us how you can worship while you wait. And now it says here, so it came to pass, and this is amazing here, in the process of time. Underline that, please, church. In the process of time. It didn't say it came to pass the next day after she worshiped. Lord, I worshiped already. Promise coming on Monday, I worshiped on Sunday. Lord, I've been worshiping for the week. I know it's coming on Monday. It's Tuesday already, God. Come on. In the process of time, it didn't happen right away. Hannah didn't even have a reason. She had a reason to be discouraged. I'm sorry. She really had a reason to be discouraged. But the promise of God was spoken to her life already. And she did not lose faith in the promise, even when it took some time. It happened in the process of time. 
It was a process of waiting for that promise. Today, maybe the God has you waiting in the process of time for that prayer request that you've been waiting for a long time. Maybe you've been praying for a relative, a, 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 your mother, a spouse, children you've been praying for. And look what it goes on. It says, and she called his name Samuel. The Lord gave her a son. She conceived, bore a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. She called him Samuel. And then it said, now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord a yearly sacrifice of a vow. But Anna, Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. I'm nursing him. I'm going to raise him a little bit until he can be on his own. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord. Here we go. And remain there forever. What does Hannah teach all the parents today? What does Hannah teach the parents? To raise your children at church. Let the kids here come to church and be there forever. Be there forever. Are you bringing your kids to church? Not taking them. I'm not talking taking them, dropping them off and going to the mall across the street. I'm talking about bringing them and teaching them that church is important. When you raise your child in church, guess what happens when they're older? They want to go to church. That's in their DNA. Going to church. They're forever. That's all they want to do. That's all, wherever they want to be at. They're looking forward to going to church. They're going to be there forever. And it says, verse 23, So Alkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, but wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until he was weaned. He said, Only let the Lord establish his word. You know what he's telling her? May the Lord help you keep his promise. Keep your promise. There have been times where we made promises to God and then we don't keep them when the Lord gives them to us. May the Lord give you strength to keep the promise. You already promised that you were going to do this. Now keep your promise to the Lord. God always keeps his promises to us. But how many times have we asked the Lord, Lord, restore this. If you restore this, then I for sure dedicate this over to you. It's not going to be the same like it was in the past. Lord, if you restore this, then we will not do what we used to do. And then the Lord restores it. And then you forget your promise. Be sure that you keep your promise. And here the priest, Eli, tell, I mean, his, her husband, tells now Hannah, may the Lord help you keep, only let the Lord establish his word. Now verse 24, now when they had weaned him, she took him with her with three bowls and ephah of flour. She took him with an offering now to the house of God with the skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was Young, The child was young. You know, how many times have we make it a priority to take children to other extracurricular activities and we don't want them to miss those extracurricular activities. But when it comes to bringing them to church, it's okay for them to miss that. It's not okay, I'll tell you. Because if your, your child starts to learn it's okay to play football instead of coming to church, guess what's going to happen once when Sunday morning comes around and they're an adult? They're going to think that Sundays are for football and they're not for going to church. I, I thank my father so much that he never allowed my, me and my brothers to play sports on Sundays. Now, we didn't understand it. You know, people always wanted us to either play on a Sunday team, whatever it was, and he never allowed it to happen because Sundays was protected to go to church. And think about this. She brought him now to church. She made it a priority to worship and to dedicate she brought him, raised them unto God's will. Verse here, now 26. And it says, and she said, oh my Lord. She looks now at Eli the priest. As your soul lives, as my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. She reminds Eli, do you remember who I am? 
I am the woman that came and, and prayed to the Lord. And what is, she, what is she going to say in verse 27? For the child I prayed for, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. I prayed, the Lord granted. I prayed, the Lord granted. Isn't it amazing that throughout Scripture, the Lord invites you to ask? The Lord invites you to ask. Really, He does. Here in this verse, it tells us, that, it tells us very much so that here we see here, in Matthew 7, 7, I'm going to read to you. It says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Are you asking today? The Lord invites you to ask. In James 4, 3, it says, you ask and you do not receive. Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Not only do we want to ask, but we want to ask so we can spend it on the Lord's pleasures. Verse 28, as we end. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. You see, she was praying for her children. And she went and she dedicated them. She presented them to the Lord. And it said of the year that she lent him. You know what the word lent means? I want, to, I want you to remind you here. The word lent means a complete giving up. A lent means to complete give up. I lent him. I completely gave him up to God. I didn't partially give him up to God. I completely gave him up to the Lord. And said, said, and she worshipped. Dedication and worship. To bow down in a humble response. You know what kind of worship God wants? When we bow down in a humble response. She literally saying, I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. She's dedicating him saying, he's going to belong to God his whole life. And guess what she does? She worships now. She dedicates and she worships. And I'll tell you this, if you're willing to, you, you're willing to dedicate to God what he's given you, if you go and you dedicate to him, he will use it. He's willing to use anything that you dedicate to him. It's up to you if you're going to dedicate to him. I, I think it's so awesome that she's learning here a style of raising her family and her household the ways of the Lord. And she said, we're going to dedicate our child to the Lord. And he's going to find from our house the example. There's a story of a little boy named Johnny that got dedicated at church. He got dedicated at church and the pastor held him there with his family, mom and dad. And the pastor prayed, I pray for Johnny that he would grow up in a Christian home. That you would use him all the days of his life. In Jesus' name, amen. They're going home now to have lunch or to have lunch after church. And little Johnny's in the back seat, buckled up in his chair. And he starts to cry. And his dad looks, what's the matter, Johnny? You just got dedicated. We're out to have lunch at your favorite place. And the pastor said that I would grow up in a Christian home. And I just want to stay with you guys. Are you giving your kids the example? Are you giving your kids the example of what a Christian home looks like? Are you giving them the example, showing up to church, showing up to church on time? Giving them the example. Because what we present and dedicate the Lord, He's going to use. I love how this ends. And she worshiped the Lord there. Worship is a repeated characteristic in this family. Teach your family that worship is important to you. It's a repeated characteristic. Even in difficult situations, they could worship the Lord. They were praising God in the most difficult day of her life when she was about to give up her son. That was the hardest thing to do. She was going to give up her son. And it wasn't easy, but she was still worshiping and was praising God because God is pleased with the sacrifice of praise. That's what worship means, a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Therefore, by Him... Let us continually offer sacrifices of praise. This was a sacrifice of praise. I'm sacrificing my son. 
I'm giving him up as an act of worship. And I can worship even in the hardest days. Can you not worship even in the hardest days? Worship even in the hardest days. We have three last points that I want to give you besides the problem, the prayer, and the priority. And I know I've gone over time, and your kids are over there, so happy Mother's Day. The first number point, the first point that I want to leave you with is this. That your value to God, that you are valuable to God whether you have children or not. You're valuable to God whether you have the relationship or not. You're valuable to God whether you have the marriage or not. God loves you for who you are, not for what you do. Number one, God loves you for who you are, not for what you do. God loves you for who you are, not for what you do. Number two, when you have pain, God has a plan. And when you are at your worst, God is at his work. When you have pain, God has a plan. And when you are at your worst, God is at his work. And number three, plan for priorities that make Christ at home in your heart. Plan for priorities that make Christ at home in your heart. Mothers, fathers, teach your children that worship and dedicating your life to the Lord is important. That's a priority. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you. We ask God that you would do a mighty work. You continue, Lord, to, to use us, Lord. In Jesus' name. You know, Mother's Day raises many issues, guys. And one of the issues it also raises in Mother's Day is the issue of forgiveness. And maybe today God's calling you to choose forgiveness, to choose restoration. Because there's so much freedom and forgiveness and so much healing and forgiveness. Maybe you didn't have the mother that you've always wanted. Maybe you were hurt by your mother, hurt by your family, you don't feel the love. But this Mother's Day, don't feel alone. Feel that you have a heavenly father, you have a family that loves you. And choose forgiveness. Maybe you come as a sorrowful spirit, leave as a poured out soul. Turn your grief into praise. And know that the Lord loves you. And you can choose joy, you can choose forgiveness, you can choose restoration. And for you mothers too, sometimes there's mothers that feel that it is their own sin, their own mistakes from the past that cause suffering in the life of their children. And I'm going to tell you today, it's not your fault. Sometimes we think it's because of our, you know, uh, mistakes from the past that our children are this, that way. Or No, it is not your fault. Dedicate your children over to the Lord and understand that He is in control. Understand that He has them in the palm of your hands. Choose forgiveness. Ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me of my past. Lord, I forgive my mother. Or maybe some mothers, they have to go up to their children and say, would you forgive me? There's a quote that I heard. It says, when is your life more fragrant than when the kiss of forgiveness is more fresh upon your cheek? When is your life most fragrant than when the kiss of forgiveness is more fresh upon your cheek? Can we choose to forgive this Mother's Day, please? Because it is not your fault. God has forgiven you. God loves you. God loves your children. Just the way they are. God loves them and he wants to speak to them. And maybe you have to go home and tell your mother, Mother, would you forgive me? Will you forgive me because I love you? Can we stand together today and pray? And choose forgiveness today on this Mother's Day?